Good morning again, church. The scripture reading this morning comes from Acts 8, 26 to 40, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles on a Bible app or on page 6 in the bulletin. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaka, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip up to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As, he tra- as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. we take a look at this passage, should we pause and pray? Let's do that. Let's pray. We've seen the images and the headlines, Father. We've gotten the phone calls and received reports of the continuing devastation in North Carolina. We do pray at this time for those whose lives have been impacted by Hurricane Florence. Uh, We pray for your mercy. We pray that you would hold back the reins. We pray that you would intervene, that you'd be kind to the people, that you would raise up your church to be special vessels of hope and of practical service. Uh, We pray for those who have lost loved ones, those who are uh, still trapped, those who are facing just grave uh, sort of uh, senses of what lies ahead, the cleanup, uh, fixing up lives. Jesus, um, this ain't no joke. And even for those of us that aren't impacted directly by a hurricane, we're reminded life is real and devastation is real. Some of us are here today with hurricanes in our hearts. 
uh, some of us are uh, in family relationships uh, that feel like a storm has blown through and it just won't quit. Uh, some of us don't know where to turn. Uh, some of us uh, are giving up hope. So many different versions of real life, and so we are desperate for you. We need you. We need you to speak into our circumstances. We need you to show up. We need you to rescue. We need you to save. We need you, Jesus. So please come to us in this word, in this time, in all the different mysterious ways in which you speak to our hearts, in the ways you change our lives, the way that you change our church. Please do all of that and more because of our time in your word. So we got a lot of hope and a lot of expectation. Come through Jesus. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you're not already there, I'd like to ask you to please turn with me in your bulletins to the sermon section of the bulletin. I believe that's on page 8. Each Sunday this month, we are learning about some of the biblical foundations of our church's mission statement. It's the beginning of the school year, the fall kickoff of our ministry here, and so it's a sensible time for us to raise questions like, what is our church all about? What are we trying to do here? Who who are we trying to be? I know some of you are new to our church. Some of you have been around, but maybe you're actually looking to plug in more intimately, more deeply. It's a good time of year for us to come together and consider our mission statement. Last week, we examined one key phrase, gospel community, and today we're looking at a second key phrase, spiritually diverse community. Here's what our mission statement says. You can read along, you can see it there in the gray print. Our mission is to build a gospel community that is intentionally spiritually diverse, cross-cultural, and neighborhood-centered for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan, Petworth, and beyond. We endeavor here at this church to be what we call a spiritually diverse community. But what does that mean? It means that we're committed to walking with friends and neighbors of a variety of spiritual and religious backgrounds that we're committed to being a church that provides a certain community environment that encourages people to ask their honest questions, uh, to bring forward their honest doubts about the Christian faith, the church that welcomes and walks along friends and neighbors such as these, friends and neighbors like some of you. The passage we're looking at today that gives some illustration to the foundation, the biblical foundations for this idea of spiritually diverse community, is a passage that takes place in the early days of the Christian church, found in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Just when the message about Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection was starting to spread across the Mediterranean region, here we come across the story of Philip. He's one of the seven men who had been appointed to care for the poor in the church. We find that in Acts chapter 6, just a few pages earlier, if you have your Bibles with you. 
But it happens to be a wonderful example, this story, of what it means to be a spiritually diverse community. So I'd like to look at this passage by focusing on three key phrases, three key words and phrases from the story. First, go. Second, stay near. And third, sit. Go, stay near, and sit. Let's take a look. First, go. Philip meets on the roadside an Ethiopian eunuch, we're told. Uh, Someone who was searching for God. But it all starts, we're told, in verse 26, when an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. God, through his angel, says to Philip, Go. See, a spiritually diverse community is a community that's striving to be intentional. Intentional about the way we foster relationships with those who are searching for God or maybe seeking answers to the biggest questions in life. Being such a community means that we are always moving towards other people's lives to share about the good news of Jesus. We are moving, in fact, away from our personal comfort spaces and rather into the spaces where we might foster true friendships and relationships. You see, Jerusalem, you might know, was the religious capital of the ancient Jewish faith. It was also where Christianity first began. Gaza, on the other hand, which was where God was directing Philip to go towards along this road. It was located about 50 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It was outside of that central capital region. In fact, it was once a city of the Philistines who were the ancient enemies of Israel. You see, what God sort of had to nudge Philip to do, and what he's nudging all of us to do, is to occasionally get out of our Jerusalems, to get out of our religious enclaves, those safe places where you feel okay, surrounded by people that believe the same thing as you do and see the world perhaps the same way that you see it, pushes us out of our religious enclaves to go to the Gazas of our local lives. Uh, To go to places where you might encounter people that believe differently. With love and respect and, and humility where you are open to encountering people as Philip did while you are on the way of life. But you've got to go. You've got to get out sometimes. And of course that means sometimes, as I mentioned, making yourself a a little bit uncomfortable, and so we don't like to. Friends, what, what, what's your Gaza that you've been avoiding? Uh, what's that place outside of that religious safe zone for you that you've been sort of staying away from? 
What's what's the local Gaza, as it were, in your life that God might be calling you personally or us as a community to push out of, to to climb out of hiding in Jerusalem and to step into other people's lives? Uh, you, You know, that doesn't necessarily mean a literal travel space of 50 miles. It might mean crossing the street. It might mean walking on the street and lingering with a little bit slower of a pace. A couple of years ago, I felt uh, sort of convicted, persuaded in my heart that I needed to not always walk around with earbuds in my ear. I love my music. Some of you love your music. I know you love your music, but you know what those earbuds also signal. Keep out. Private time. Don't talk to me. I'm on open ear. And a big sign that says, interrupt me. But who wants that? (laughs) Who wants that kind of interruption? Chance encounters with neighbors, with strangers. See, your local Gaza might just be a simple thing like venturing over to the other side of the office or the school hallway or going to the other grocery store in your neighborhood. Uh, What is it that God might be calling you to step into, to step out of, to go? You see, because it was on his way there, we're told in verse 27, that Philip met this Ethiopian man. You know, in ancient times, the word Ethiopian referred to people from the Nubian kingdom, which was located in sort of the southern region of Egypt and northern Sudan, This man apparently didn't know Jesus, but he was religiously interested. Verse 27 tells us that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was reading the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. Specifically, he was reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, a religious seeker, a person that was interested in the things of God, and yet he needed help. He needed more answers, which Philip supplied with him later, but hold on. He was also a eunuch. In the ancient world, eunuchs were men who had been castrated and emasculated, sometimes as a result of violence by another, sometimes by self-mutilation, sometimes it was a religious act. They were often servants, sometimes slaves. They were often shunned socially, not only because of their physical impairment, but also because of their inability now to have a family, without which, in the ancient world, you had very little social standing. In fact, in the ancient Jewish world, the law of Moses prohibited eunuchs from being full participants in the worship life of the community. You couldn't go in. And so that meant that this Ethiopian eunuch, he made this pilgrimage of sorts to Jerusalem, we're told, to worship. But we actually know that he would have been required to stay on the outskirts of the temple during his time there. He was literally a second-class seeker. But interestingly, across the ancient world, eunuchs were also employed by kings and queens to serve in high-ranking positions as court advisors and guardians of the king's harem. After all, they weren't really a threat, was the thinking. This eunuch is described in verse 27 as an important official in charge of all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. 
which meant he was sort of like the treasury secretary of this great kingdom. So what we have in this individual is a very complex identity, which is usually the case for most of our identities. It's just not one thing, many things. And this is who Philip ventured out when he did his going. This is who he encountered, who he connected with, applied to our modern context. I think maybe this Ethiopian eunuch might represent several types of people that God might be urging you to dare to connect with, to build friendships with, to reach, to listen to, to engage as they consider the things of God. It might include people of a different ethnicity than your own. Or maybe people with a different or complicated sexual identity. Uh, People who are physically disabled. People who are outcasts in traditional religious communities for various reasons. People who are socially disadvantaged or people who hold high social status but are spiritually lonely or lost, forgetting that those who at least professionally have it most together are often the ones that are most desperate for community, for God, for peace, for healing. Or perhaps people who are religiously interested but new to Jesus. Who is it that God has already placed in your life that he might be nudging you to get to know a little bit better, to listen to a little bit more intently, to gather up more pieces of their story, uh, to become a neighbor or friend all over again. Who are uh, the Ethiopian eunuchs, as it were, in your life? And that term, of course, describes all of us in some way, shape, or form. God is always meeting us in all the complexities of who we are. In bringing us good news. Dear friends, the first call is to go. Will we go? Secondly, stay near. Stay near. The Spirit told Philip, we're told in verse 29, go to that chariot and stay near it, which Philip does. And there near the chariot, Philip hears this man reading Scripture. I mean, you have to notice this. The first thing that God tells Philip to do is not go and tell him everything you know about God. Go and just start explaining what he's missing in his life. No, he says, go and just linger. Go and stay near. Go and, well, did you notice the first thing that Philip does is he listens. He overhears this man reading scripture. You see, we're called to overhear what our neighbors are thinking about, are reading about. This is a matter of respecting the person's actual thoughts, understanding and learning about their beliefs, their feelings, where they're at in life. You know, one of the most damaging things to Christian witness in our days is that far too many people, Christians, carry around in their minds caricatures of the people out there uh, without actually befriending and knowing 
all that our neighbors or that you or that we actually think or believe. And notice when Philip finally does speak, the first thing out of his mouth is a declaration about the truth of God. No, it's a question. He asks a question. Do you understand what you are reading? Let let me tell you what you're reading there. No, do, do you understand it? Ask a question. Being a spiritually diverse community means being committed to getting to know people's questions, uh, to genuinely engage one another as real people, uh, to provide a space where it's okay for all of us to say, I don't understand. As the eunuch mentions here in verse 31, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone explains it to me? Spiritually diverse community is a place where all of your questions and doubts are welcome. In fact, I want to invite you to come out tomorrow evening. We have a a special occasion, a little gathering that we have planned for you or perhaps for a friend or neighbor called it in the past brewing belief and what it simply is is a chance for us to get together at a local pub uh, just sort of a place where maybe you already go this is Meridian Pint right there on Park and 11th Street in Columbia Heights just a few blocks down from here at 8 o'clock to about 9 30 I'll just be camped out there hanging out eating peanuts no hanging out with a pint and peanuts and you And your questions, your doubts, nothing will offend, nothing will throw us off because we know that part of working through hard things is having a space just to talk through them, work through them, process them together in community. Uh, Any question is fair game. It's one of the funnest things we've done in years past, and we'd like to do it again for you and with you. So again, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock p.m., This is for you, this is for your neighbors, for your friends, and I'd also like to make sure that it's clear that if you are yourself a professing Christian, this isn't primarily for you. Uh, You may come if and only if you bring uh, a friend or neighbor uh, who has these questions, who's on a journey, sort of thinking through the things of of God, but they're new to the Christian faith, perhaps. Uh, This is not primarily for you if you're a member of our church, though you are very much welcomed and urged to bring along a friend and neighbor. So I'd love to see you there, right there, downstairs in Meridian Point. Hope you'll fill that space up. What we find in the way that Philip engages this eunuch, in addition to asking, uh, allowing for space for questions to be asked, for doubts and misunderstandings to be processed is a deep trust that God is actually at work in this person's life. You see, you'll never have the patience, the grace to give room for a person to sort of breathe as they're working through the things of God and his word unless you actually believe that God is in control. Where you can leave a little bit of room for what's called providence. That's God's sovereign control over all the details of our lives. 
In fact, this passage is very clear. Again and again, it reminds us that God is sort of directing all these circumstances in a mysterious but beautiful sort of way. Verse 27, you know, the Spirit tells Philip to go, and then it just happens on his way that he bumps into this Ethiopian eunuch. And then we're told that this man has these questions on his mind, partly because he had just gone to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's sort of doing some follow-up reading, and here he is wondering what this passage means, and he looks up, and there's Philip standing next to his chariot. You think this is almost comical, the way in which God has brought these circumstances together. And then as it turns out in verse 32, the passage that the eunuch was reading turns out, to be from Isaiah 53, where so much of this passage happens to connect personally with the eunuch's circumstances. We'll talk about that in a second. It's the perfect text for this eunuch to ponder over. And then afterwards, we're told in verse 36 that as they travel along the road, they came to, they just happened to come to some water, where the eunuch then says, well, why shouldn't I be baptized, having finally put my trust in Jesus, it's apparent that the way in which this story is told as Luke has written the book of Acts, the message is clear. God is weaving these circumstances together. God is in control. God is directing each person's steps and words. God is the one that's at work in this Ethiopian eunuch's life. God is the one that's opening his heart to see Christ for who he is. So you know what? That means you don't need to demand it. It means you don't need to force it. It means you don't need to manipulate. It means you don't need to coerce. You see, it is so important. Being a spiritually diverse community means this. Trusting God enough to know that it is not our job to have to force conversions upon people. That's not our job. God is the one that changes the heart. That's the story of every person that comes to know Jesus. And so we're a community that refuses to manipulate people with religious fear or guilt in a way that actually just tries to scare people into religious considerations. Trusting God puts us on a a joyful journey, one where you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you give room for God to work. You give room to let someone ask a hard question, and for you to not know the answer sometimes, uh, for you to dialogue with them and to move through life together with them in a genuine friendship, not as a project, but to treat them like a true person. In fact, to redeem them as a true person in the way that you walk with them through their spiritual journey. Stay near to the chariot. Listen in on people's questions. Ask questions yourselves. Don't just give answers. Give room for God's providence to work. Thirdly, sit. Thirdly and lastly, sit. Verse 31. So this eunuch invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You just got to picture this scene. It's so great. At this point, the eunuch says, come on up. And so uh, Philip climbs into the chariot together with him. And they start talking about the Bible. 
but he's sitting in this eunuch's chariot. He's sort of in his car, and they're sitting there talking on his terms, in his place of comfort and familiarity. You see, too often when people have a desire to share their faith with other people, their neighbors, their friends, too often we demand that they come on our terms, that our neighbors sort of come into our spaces of comfort. Here is Philip moving in the opposite direction, uh, stepping into the eunuchs, the Ethiopians, place of comfort and familiarity sort of giving up his posture of privilege and power and sort of saying, here I am, let me just help you understand whatever it takes, whatever you need, here I am to serve you. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And so we understand that a spiritually diverse community is one that actually explains which sounds simple enough, and yet too often uh, Christians forget to do that. Well, how can you not believe this stuff? It's so obvious. No, it's not obvious. Uh, You would be a fool not to trust in Jesus. Well, a lot of things Christians believe really do sound foolish, don't they? Uh, Who's going to explain these things to me? See, a spiritually diverse community is one that translates, that explains words and terms and ideas that others might not understand, patiently, humbly, joyfully, knowing that there was a time for all of us when we didn't get it all, and we still don't. It bears explaining. And so in verse 35, Philip began to explain with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. What was in that passage? What was it that Philip explained to him? What was this thing that was called good news? Well, look, first, Philip told him, it would seem, the good news about God's deep empathy. You see, the passage the Ethiopian was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In him humiliation, he was deprived in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Oh, there's a strange beauty here that of all the passages in the world that this Ethiopian eunuch could have been reading, he was reading from the prophet Isaiah, who was describing the coming Messiah, the suffering servant, God himself in flesh who we know eventually would be the person of Jesus fulfilled in his life, death, and resurrection. But it's a story of a God who actually enters into our human suffering. A God who actually knows what it's like to be marginalized because he came not as a Roman emperor, but as a Jewish carpenter. He came not to the high places in society, but to the low place. Not living in a mansion, but actually living homelessly. Uh, He was one who was familiar with humiliation. The humiliation even of this eunuch. Deprived of justice. uh, Cast out by society. And and, and this, uh, one who also knew what it was like to not have a family in ancient society. 
Uh, who's a God who understands all the ways in which we feel shoved out by the world? Uh, who's a God who understands, who bore in his own flesh in Jesus what it's like to suffer injustice? What it's like to feel like you have no name or legacy or future. It all ends here. Who is a God like this God who bears good news about God's empathy? Jesus is not a stranger to your suffering. Jesus is not a stranger to your marginality, to your poverty, to your deep need for belonging. But Philip also surely explained the good news of true atonement. You see, because, in fact, right before that passage that the eunuch certainly had read are these words. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, because the eunuch had to hear this piece of good news as well. You can be as close to the inner circle of society as you might dream you want to be. And yet you can still be far outside of God's inner circle of his grace. Because of our sin, because of our fallenness, because of the ways in which we live for ourselves in our selfishness, in the way that we stiff-arm God, in the way in which we are far from Him. And so here's a story of this same Messiah, this servant, who bore our sins, who took the punishment that should have been ours. He was pierced not for his own transgressions on the cross, but rather for ours. He was crushed by the judgment of God, not for his own iniquities, but rather for ours. The punishment that he bore brought us peace with God because Jesus paid for our sins. He stood in our place before God, and that's how we get forgiven. Not because God forgets our sins, but because God in Christ paid for our sins. So there's no more judgment, no more condemnation, no more frowning from God left for those who are in Christ, the suffering Savior, upon whom the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all. You see, it was on the cross that Jesus was made the ultimate outcast. Not only by his local community, but cast out by God into the outer darkness as he cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was suffering hell. Jesus was suffering divine banishment. Why? So that you and I might be brought near. So we might be brought into the fellowship of God himself. So that we might know God with intimacy. Jesus was cast out of God's favor in order that we might have God's favor. This is good news. This is good news for an Ethiopian outcast. To know the Savior who was made an outcast. That he might be brought in. Into the heart of God. And into the family of God. You see, because Philip surely explained too. The good news of a new name. Uh, because childless though this eunuch might have been, 
He was being named a son of the king. He was being given a family and a heritage, even a spiritual legacy as he builds relationships with those in the church where he's no longer a stranger or a foreigner, but he's one who belongs. He's called brother now. No longer outcast, but brought in. How do we know? Because if he just flipped a few pages or pulled down the scroll a little bit more here in Isaiah 56, an incredible promise that sounded like this. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain. I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs. I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. You might have no earthly family, you might have no earthly legacy, you might have no earthly power, but when you're a child of the king, you have everything. You have a new name, you have a legacy and a heritage, you have meaning and purpose, you have a place of belonging, and this is good news. This is what was being offered to this eunuch, and why is it no surprise then that this eunuch embraces this hope so perfectly tailored to his circumstances Even while at the same time, it's universal to all of our circumstances and needs. Who doesn't want good news like this? Don't you? And so they go along and from there, having embraced this gospel of Jesus, this eunuch having embraced Jesus as his savior. We're told in verse 36, as they travel along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And so he was baptized. And according to church tradition, he returned home and became the beginning point of the great church in Ethiopia. A whole movement of Christianity that spread because of this one brother in Christ who had heard the gospel preached by one who responded when God said, go who came near to the chariot when he was called to stay near, who talked with questions and with big ears of listening, who sat with this eunuch and explained hard things in God's word and who delivered the good news, the great news of God's grace. And so it's no surprise that after being baptized in verse 39, we're told after Philip had departed that the eunuch went on his way Rejoicing. Because you see, this gospel invitation is an invitation to joy. And who doesn't want to make that invitation? A spiritually diverse community at the end of the day, friends, is a community of joy. The joy of seeing people be baptized. People hear good news for the first time. People to find fresh freedom in asking their questions And maybe to see things click in their heads and hearts as they come to understand what the Bible actually says about God and about us. A spiritually diverse community is one that experiences the joy of walking alongside people as friends, humanizing our neighbors, respecting them enough to patiently listen, to give room, and then to see people by God's grace and in his timing come to know him 
come to trust in him, come to rejoice in him. This is the sort of spiritually diverse community we want to build. Will you, friends, participate in it with us? Whether if you're a neighbor and a new person to the Christian faith, would you be someone who might come here and build such a community together with us? Let's ask that God would make us into that sort of church. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would do that, that you would give all grace, changing our hearts, making us more like what we find here in this passage, humble, caring, patient servants, neighbors, friends, that more and more of our neighborhoods, friends might be touched, moved, transformed by the good news of Jesus. Please do that in our midst. Please do that in and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.